Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Welcome to Cats a Podcast. I'm Nate Smith, and I'm here with Elijah Kim and Chris Francis, and we are riding a two-game winning streak. Am I right, gentlemen? Three, three. Oh yeah, Ooh. that's right. Because Eli brought. So, yeah. uh, what was the win before the Bulls? Uh, Bulls. Bulls. Oh yeah, Bulls, yeah that's right. Yeah. yeah, New Year's Eve, um, the third, and then today. Yeah. So. Yep. And today's game, and we'll get back and talk about the Bulls a little bit, but uh, today's game was uh, definitely an ugly win. Uh, if you look up ugly wins in the dictionary, it, it's there's a picture of this game. The Cavs shot 39% from the field. Uh, so did the um, Suns, and uh, 35% for the Suns from three, or 36, and then the Cavs 31% from three. Um, it, it was ugly, and uh, well, the Cavs got re- out rebounded and out assisted. So yeah, I like how they did they one. win the game? Yeah, I, they really they even had more turnovers here. too. <laughs> so yeah, I mean it was just clutch. It was clutch plays. That's clutch that's plays and a couple free throws. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but the big heroes tonight, obviously. Um, Karis Levert led the team in scoring, uh, gave him a big spark in the second half uh, when he had 21 points and uh, six rebounds, not in the second half, but overall uh, five of seven from three. Really the only guy who could sh- was shooting well tonight from deep, um, and they really needed him when he got going in the third. And then, of course, Donovan Mitchell started turning it on a bit late, hit a big three. Had a big assist down the stretch to finish with 20 points, six rebounds, and nine assists. And then. How about that play to Mobley? Yeah. And then the game winning assist, Evan Mobley was what, one for eight uh, at that point? At that point. (laughs) Donovan drove in, had two guys on him. Mobley cut behind him. Donovan found him and he hit kind of a drifting 14 footer. But his focus there for that, that shot was, I thought, really commendable picture perfect yeah but you could tell he was locked in yeah and uh hit a game-winning uh shot to finish with six points um and and of course the other guy that i got to give a big shout out to is our boy raul neto raul neto agenda yes Um, sir that's right let him know we've been banging the drum (laughs) <laughs> and uh he had a JB, huge do you like quarter. what you see <laughs> are you not amused <laughs> big third quarter JB, take though. us take I'll, us through I'll that third quarter and credit jb there 
Yeah, Chris. well, I mean, I'll I'll give him credit. He's definitely he's finally found a consistent, you know, ten to fifteen for Neto. He got twenty one tonight because he was cooking, and so also credit to JB for stretching his minutes out. You know, while he had the hot hand, you know, he kept him in there. I think he brought him into the fourth quarter too, if I'm not mistaken. He did. Neto yeah. A lot, you know, Neto played a huge stretch and basically saved the game. I mean, they were struggling. And then all of a sudden, you know, he he provided a scoring spark basically at the end of the third quarter. Kind of got all other guys going. Uh, Donovan Mitchell found him. Like that. That's how odd the game was. Was that Donovan Mitchell was like looking to get Raul Neto buckets. They were you know? running pick and roll <laughs> with Raul Neto as the roll man, and yeah, it was working. Sure. They got two of buckets course. off it. <laughs> Yeah, and he was finishing over guys like Bridges and uh, Aiton inside. Like it was crazy. Yeah, um, it was wild. It, it was yep. a bizarre game. He stole an inbound. I thought him stealing that inbounds play was kind of oh, a play wow. that kind of yes. got the whole team yes. going. Like you know, it's a good steal on the inbounds when you fool the cameraman. Like the cameraman was like, <laughs> "Oh, got to backtrack. Go back. Check out Raul." <laughs> That's right. Oh, yeah, it was awesome. It was very unexpected. Well, def- that's definitely for sure. And he led the team in plus minus with 14. And then you had uh, Chetty Osman, um, just another not a good shooting night, but plus, or, or sorry, uh, he led Raul led uh, the bench scores with 14. And then Chetty Osman led the team with plus 11 off the bench on 4 12 shooting, but really just a lot of energy. Um, really timely plays once again. Uh, in an ugly game that they won. So, uh, uh, what credit to JB for running him 33 minutes? Yeah. You know, giving him starter level minutes off the bench, thankfully. You know, cut, cut Stevens' minutes down to six. And know, so Stevens looks like he, I didn't get to watch the first half, but Stevens looks like he was terrible. Like minus seven and six minutes is not good. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, the stretch, the stretch that he played, they were not good. And then, you know, limiting Okoro to 19 minutes was, uh, you know, keeping him in the sweet spot right there. You know, not too much, not too little. So, you know. I thought Okoro had good. some nice plays. He had that really nice assist to Donovan Mitchell. Had a couple uh, rebounds. Yeah, yeah, four rebounds. That's not bad in 19 minutes. So. Nope, and plus five. Um, yep. can't, can't argue with that. Kevin Love struggled a lot tonight. Um, yeah, definitely. Well, I think it's, you know, the extended minutes in that overtime game against, uh, uh, the yeah, Bulls on Monday. Games. Yeah, for sure. It's just that it, it, he is not that guy anymore. And, uh, actually, I thought the Where minutes he started gave... beating the drum for Isaiah Mobley. But that's <laughs> what he does. That's what's, that's what's holding the team back right now. JB, come on, man. Come on. Well, I mean, play. it, it sounds play. like. He's the guy that they've kind of elevated over uh, Diakite at this point. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me because Mobley has better court awareness. He's a more fundamentally sound player. Yeah, exactly. So, but then freaking use him. You know, and he's been lighting it up in the G League. He was part of the all showcase team. Put the brothers in. Put the brothers in. Yeah, there you go. Let's see the brothers. Come on. (laughs) The brothers Mobleys. 
<laughs> so I was yeah. gonna say Kazmarov or whatever the hell that was, but uh, who? What? Oh, the yeah. brothers Karamazov by Dostoevsky. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. But I was thinking, how do I make it about Mobley? Well, I yeah, I mean, we've already had the the brothers Lopez and the brothers Zeller and uh, the brothers Morris. That's true. Yeah, and of course the brothers it's Ball. Time. It's time. Yeah, you're right. It's yeah, time. we need we need to Let's get bust uh, out the Mobleys. There what we do go. You think Eli? Let's bust out the Mobleys. I'd be down for it, man. I think. Uh, it's really funny because in the Korean Cavs chat, they love the Mobley brothers and they want to see the uh, the brothers play together. So is that like a know. West Coast thing? <laughs> is that because I know there's a lot of Korean USC fans? Uh, I don't think so. I think it's just genuinely they think it's cool that two brothers can be on the same NBA team. Nice, nice. Yeah, they um, understand the few like you. Think about the familial connection they have. They should be able to tap into a level of basketball that, you know, is above, you know, like levels above, you know, who normally plays. You know what I mean? I feel like they can make some magic. Come on. I mean, they've been playing their own lives together. <laughs> you can't argue with it. I mean, we've seen the Morris brothers. Yeah, I think I think my favorite bit on the Morris brothers is which one's the dumb one, and it's whatever one is on the floor, right? Then. <laughs> wow. That was that was my favorite um, evil genius bit. <laughs> he he always used to do that, uh, but got it, got his ass. <laughs> I mean, it was it was an interesting game because I thought that for three quarters, especially Aiton, really dominated him inside you know 18 rebounds uh, really controlled the boards uh you know chris paul was very difficult to handle 25 points eight assists and the Cavs just kind of kept on him uh tried to keep him to, from getting to his uh right hand i think the the place they really shown as a team was uh, Holden McCall Bridges, who's kind of their second scorer right now, held him to three of fifteen from the field, which was uh, a big reason they thought lost. Um, Bridges had the shot to tie it at the end and just missed. Right, like he had a semi-open look and just, it, but they made him take a tough one, and he missed it. And the, the Cavs just kind of executed better down the stretch. Just yeah, I mean that's what one play better to. basically. Yeah, I mean that's what it came down to is uh, the two, the two plays I'm thinking about is the Karis three to tie it, and then the play that Donovan made it was a pass to Mobley to win it. So, like that's the thing is they did championship things tonight, even though they sucked for the whole entirety of the game. But they just like it, when it came to the most pressured moment in the game, they came through. I mean, so, they scored thirty three points in the first half. It was like it was a W. Awful. It was a WNBA. Dude. It was a bad WNBA score. Wow, wow. I mean, I'm not lying. NBA like that? You're gonna knock it? No, WNBA I'm saying it's a bad WNBA <laughs> score. Wow. Put some. It was pretty brutal. It yeah, was like it was, a high school uh, game. Yeah, yeah, it did look like a high school game. And I was, I actually had to run a couple errands and 
I kind of caught the first five minutes and I was like, this is a slog. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back at halftime. And I'm glad I did because when I looked up and it was 33 points, I was like, oh, this is brutal. And it wasn't uh, what they scored 40. They were up, uh, 40, it was 43 to 33. I mean, it really was a high school score. So um, anything else stand out from this game uh, in terms of the Suns? Um, I, I, boy, the Suns look kind of dead in the water right now without Booker to me. Like if you can't win a game where you hold a team to 33 points in the first half, you're in trouble. I also think it's just had insult to injury. They lost campaign tonight. Um, so it's oh, that's, that's who, okay. And so yeah, he, he didn't come back in the second half, right? Correct. His foot, he had a foot problem. Wow. I mean, they're so, screwed. I mean, yeah, yeah like they I should be know. tanking. They, that's what they should be doing. Is they or be, or they scraping. The tank. They should be scraping the G League or something. But, I mean, they, yeah. I if they know. keep – that's the thing. Like, it, do you think they – if Booker's out for an extended period of time, do you think they look to move Chris Paul? To the Lakers? Oh, I don't know. Anywhere. I mean, I he doesn't – no, yeah. who would want to trade him? Who would want to trade for him? Well, oh, that's true. Like, the Lakers? Get it. Well, that's <laughs> also true. <laughs> oh, my God. That would be so funny to watch. I don't think wow. that LeBron and Chris Paul would play that well together. They both want the ball know. in their hands. Well, no. I, I think, actually, LeBron's starting to change the way he plays because he's getting older. So he's and off he's the ball right. more? Yep, I think he's off the mall more. I think he's letting other guys initiate offense and allowing him to like make decisions, you know, or just get easy shots. Basically, you know, he gets a ton of easy shots that way, and he makes them. So, um, I'm how much is he averaging? Like he's averaging like 27 points a game. Yeah, no, I mean, and he turned 38, and yeah. Just like, had a couple forty nights in a row. Yeah, exactly. So I think he's starting to morph his game a little bit. It's interesting. I was wondering, no, because I think that's a big question. Like, can he morph his game to last longer? You know, does he have the humility inside of the basketball player to, you know, change his game, you know, to suit his aging, you know, and apparently he might, you know, so. Yeah, it's pretty amazing what he's doing at 38. Um, but I I would have a hard time thinking that a Chris Paul and LeBron team. But who knows? Maybe they would they do could. nothing. Oh, yeah, they would do nothing. Come on. No, they're too old. Like, can they even make it through the season is the question. Well, that is the question, especially when you've also got Anthony hurt every year, Davis. Yeah, he's done, so, right? For the year? No, I don't think he's done for the year. I mean, he's done for a while. Yeah, he was done for a while, and can the Lakers stay close enough to the pack to be able to make a run? Are they even in the play-in right now? I don't know. Mm, I don't think so. I think they might be in the play-in. They might be the 10. We could look this up. They're not. I am <laughs> not even in the play uh, They're 12th. Oh, wow. <laughs> Two and a half games out of 10. They should be tanking. What are they doing? Yeah. Well, the West is so weird right now because, you know, Golden State, is eighth. They're the most trick or treat team in the league. They're seventh. 
Oh, I've, oh, I've got them eighth right now, win. but yeah, five game win streak right now, and they're doing yeah, it but, without Steph. Yeah, but they're so trick or treat. Like their wins versus their losses are just brutal. But well, they can't win on the road. They're uh, on the road. They're three and sixteen. <laughs> yeah, but the crazy thing is, you know, the West is Denver, Memphis, and New Orleans up at the top, and you look at those three teams and it's hard to think that uh, the Golden States and the Lakers uh, and the Sons of the Worlds can compete with, you know, Jokic and Zion and, uh, you know, Ja and Jaron Jackson Jr. So it's, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird uh, division out West. And then of course, the East, I think we're going to talk to talk about a little bit when we get back. But the East is, uh, it's a little more top heavy, but it's it's uh, it's definitely weird as well. So, and with that, we'll be right back. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a four fifty-five meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly. An AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. <laughs> Welcome back to Casa Podcast. I'm Nate Smith. I'm here with uh, Chris Francis and Eli Kim. Uh, we have an official sponsor of Cavs the Podcast tonight, and that is uh, Costco brand, Kirkland brand spiced rum. Um, <laughs> where you can get where you can get a 1.75 liter bottle of rum at 90 proof for 13 bucks. It's like the best alcohol value in America. So, wow. <laughs> wow. And it's not too shabby. It's pretty good. So, no, I would buy Kirkland everything if I could. I'm a, yeah. I'm a big, I'm pro Costco. Um, I'm a pro Costco advocate agenda, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Well, 
I mean, you know, their their uh, vodka is Grey Goose. So is it? Yeah, their vodka no. is is Grey no. Goose. Yeah. Yes. No way. Yes way. <laughs> I don't believe that. That is that is the uh, if you do the searches on the internet, that is the I'm story. Gonna, I'm going to. There's going to be hot googling action. <laughs> Yeah, so it, it's hard to beat um, the price on booze from uh, from the old Costco. So uh, just just a little tip for all you uh, all you uh, ca- cash short drinkers there. Anyway, um, <laughs> with with that uh, devolvement into degeneracy, we'll uh, we'll get back and we'll talk about the East a little bit, which is very very compact. Up at the top, um, we've got about uh, top four teams. There's about one and a half games separating them. You got Boston up front, uh, who's lost a couple. You got uh, Boston lot gave up 150 points to the Thunder last night, which is crazy. Oh, yeah. And then you got Brooklyn, who is nine and one in their last 10. Uh, you got Milwaukee, who just eked one out in Toronto tonight after blowing an over 10-point lead with two minutes left. Um, and then you got Cleveland sitting there, a uh, three-game win streak at 25 and 14. Uh, and then you got Philly and New York rounding it out. I mean, the the top seven of the East is is pretty pretty legit, I would say, or at least the top five. Um you know, the Knicks are kind of three games back of Philly. I feel like the top five of the East is, is really solid. Yeah, I, I think that's the real story there is that the top five is basically, they're basically all a crapshoot for yeah. the Eastern Conference Finals. You know what I mean? Basically, that's what I think is. They're, yeah. They're, they're gonna, it's going to be those four teams in the second round. Four of the yeah, five it, teams in the second round. It's going to be a weird seeding because, like, actually, I think if Boston stays number one, it might benefit the Cavs to stay at four because I feel like they match Boston better than they match Brooklyn or Milwaukee. I don't know. How do, how do you feel about that? I'd honestly rather see Milwaukee. I think they match up best with them. Interesting. Interesting. What about you, Eli? Who who would you want if the playoffs started right now? Who would you want in, let's say, the first round or the second round? Let's say the second round. Um, I think it'd be Boston too, just because mentally, I think our the Cavs have beaten them twice, and they think they could probably beat them in a series. So, and I and I feel like the Cavs have the advantage at the big man spot, whereas. You know, Robert Williams isn't back yet. Maybe when he comes back, that will change. But right now, I feel like that Cavs have that advantage. So, um, And then kind of rounding out the top 10 is the Bulls, who the Cavs took two from the hard way. And then, of course, uh, Monday's they game. They just beat the Nets. Yeah, they just beat the Nets. Um, <laughs> and maybe the NBA gave them some... Uh, some officiating help. I don't know, but um, Monday's game, I would say is going to go down as one of the greatest Cavs games, regular season Cavs games of all time. Would you guys agree? Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and Eli, where were you sitting for that game? (laughs) (laughs) I was, uh, I was not that, not too far away from the action. Um, was pretty good. A lot of guys from Columbus were going up. So, you know, 
had to go watch. I actually felt pretty bad because I thought it was going to be a blowout for huh. about half the game. So for the Cavs or for the Bulls? For the Cavs. I mean, it was brutal in the first half. So yeah, I was like, man, do we just count our losses and it, be glad we had some good Chinese food before we came? <laughs> but well, uh, you got one of the great performances. It's not the best regular season performance in Cavalier history. I think it'd oh. be hard to find one to top what Donovan Mitchell did Monday. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. I mean, it's a top eight performance scoring wise of all like all time in the history of the NBA. So, and it is, I believe, number two in terms of a player with seventy one points and eleven assists. Um, no player was responsible for more points in a regular season game than uh, yeah, Mitchell before uh, since uh, since Will Chamberlain. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was just gonna say. You guys are underselling this. This is the greatest modern offensive performance in NBA history. Whoa! I mean, it's the that, only that's one that matters. A strong high that, praise. That it's the only one that matters. I mean, like Will Chamberlain doesn't exist. <laughs> you know? No, I mean it was it was incredible, and kind of Eli take us through the vibe of just watching that game as it kind of progressed, and you know I know Mitchell started to heat up in the third quarter, and like when did you get the feeling that oh my god we're watching something special here? I mean honestly, looking back at it. um you know, Mitchell only scored 16 points in the first half, and only 16. When, I thought he had more than that in the first half. No, 16. Just 16. And then he okay. ended, he ended I up mean, with just quote unquote 16. Yeah, yeah no, and that's he ended a lot. up with 55 uh, in the second half in the overtime. But I think it really started in the third quarter when he just he was making a couple threes, and then you know the lead shrank from 21 to 19, and then down to 16 and then down to 13. And then you kind of just sitting there and you're just like, man, if they could really cut this to like 10 to 13, I think Mitchell's just so hot. And I think a lot of people were worried that they're going to take, take him out of the fourth um, to start just because he was so gassed. He played the whole third quarter. Um, but he basically played the whole second half and over. Well, he asked it. Actually, supposedly the reporting said he asked in. Yeah, so he, he wanted to stay in, so it was his call. Like, thank God, JB listened. Yeah. Oh, for and sure. I think the uh, there's a couple like plays that kind of get lost. Everyone remembers the free throw. Everyone's going to remember that first three pointer um, in overtime to kind of cement the win because <laughs> it just felt like the Bulls were you know so dead in the water after that free throw, um, but. I think the uh, play where he leaked out and transitioned in overtime was like the epitome of the game for me, where he just he played the most minutes at, at the game at that point, and he still had the energy to just blow by Levine and DeRozan for that layup. Yeah, I mean, just like he was shot out of a cannon, and they didn't even realize what was happening until it was over. Yep. Like, yep. And that was really the nail in the coffin for the game. Oh, yeah. I mean... I think at some point in the third quarter when he made a three um, to, you know, get it down to single digits, that's when the belief was there. 
Um, but I, I also think kind of that four point play he got on Caruso was where some people are like, all right, hang on, hang on. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that's, that was a play. Yeah, that was a big one. Yeah, like, why don't the Cavs just score four points every possession? <laughs> but yeah, that, that four point play was huge. And then, you know, he had, uh, so I'm taking you, I'm going through the scoring right now. He had, um, a put back at like five minutes. Then he had a pull up J at like two fifty two, and then uh, the step back at one thirty to. And I think that tied it, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, and then I I don't even want to get into the free throw line play, um, but I will. I it, it was one of the most remarkable plays I've ever seen on an NBA court, like. It was just the way he had. So did you see the bit that he and uh, Robin Lopez had practiced that? And he actually requested Robin Lopez get put in for that play. No, I didn't. Uh, hear that. I did not. But it yeah. makes sense. I mean, you want to have as many yeah. big bodies as you can, right, to muck it up. Right. And the whole thing was he kind of timed exactly how to hit that shot off the back right iron and kind of knew exactly where it was going to come down. And he hit it perfectly for what he did. And then, you know, Lopez boxed out, gave him the lane. And I'm not going to get into the quote-unquote lane violation conspiracy theory. I, I think maybe after the next break, we'll get into that. But he placed it exactly where he was going to be to get that ball. And that just made a ridiculously good play just to put that in the basket because he was kind of falling down. And I don't know, when I first saw the play, it almost looked like it bounced off his head and into the basket, but that's, that's not what happened. And it was really hard to see from the camera angle of the broadcast in real time. You just saw the basket go in. Like, did you get a clear view of what had happened when you were in the, in the building, Eli? Like, was he on your side or the far side? No, it was the opposite side. Okay. From the friends. Yeah. So. I mean, you saw the ball go in, but you kind of didn't see how it went in, right? Yeah, honestly, I mean, it was. I probably had like the like the friends, and we probably had the worst angle because we're like on the other side of the basket and the other corner of the action, right? So, right, it's like literally the furthest from it. And I thought like Robin or Kevin Love like tipped it in first. Yeah, it was super weird because it looked almost like it went off his head because it dropped so fast and then went right back up. But yeah. that was also he jumped and put it in. It was like the old tip play in uh, 33. <laughs> like you guys yeah. ever played 33? Have you played 21? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. so 33 is the Northeast Ohio version of 21. Um, you just played a 33 instead of 21. So, and, and you ever play tips where, uh, if you tip the ball, the guy gets reset back to zero. That, yep. that oh, yeah. was, that was that old play. Like he jumped up, tipped the ball in and, and reset the balls back to zero. <laughs> it was, it was wild. Like, I'm, it's like, so, it was almost reminded me, like, not the actual play, but just kind of the way that every single thing had to go right for it to work out the way it did of the, uh, DeAndre Ayton's son's play in the bubble where they they did the play with like point so many seconds left and he slammed it in right in, off the inbound. Do you remember that? Yeah, I mean, it, it just looked like um, that was actually – there was another play too 
were um ironically like the jazz game that night too where the buzzer beater i don't know for some reason it just looked like one of those buzzer beater plays that looked too good and you're just hoping that it still stayed for whatever reason obviously oh, yeah. in this case for the lane violation you're just like hope they don't call it um but, <laughs> yeah exactly but just you know it feels like one of those moments where like it looks good it looks like it was perfectly executed and you just got to pray that they don't blow a late whistle or yeah exactly stupid. and that the Cavs hold on in overtime but when he hit that first three in overtime you kind of knew it was it was that was it right like you kind of knew they had it did you did you feel that was that the vibe in the arena? Oh yeah, I think as soon as he went down and hit that step, I mean it was like a step back three too. It wasn't like a catch and shoot um, shot. So I said no, absolutely, it, it was. Yeah, like it's it, over. Yeah, and then I mean that was the cool thing about the overtime was, you know, he hits that, then he hits another shot, and then kind of to ice the game with about a minute 50 left, he hit another step back three. Um, And that's when you were like, holy cow, like he's got a shot because I think he had what, 59 or 58 going into overtime. Yeah. He, I think it was 58 to have the franchise record. Yeah. And And then, yeah, I think, I'll be honest, I was a little frustrated because everyone wanted him to, everyone in the arena knew he had the franchise record, but obviously they wanted him to break 60 ASAP. And then once you hit like two threes in a row to get to 64, you're like, all right, well, he just needs like six more points to 70. And you're just <laughs> sitting there. And then. But you're also like, okay, win the game though. <laughs> yeah. And then I guess the, frust- the little frustrating thing was, Right after he makes the second three, Levert takes a three. And you're like, "What are you doing, man?" Like the <laughs> like Donovan Mitchell literally just scored like the last ten points of the game. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was def the it was definitely electric. Um, I think the vibes are immaculate as as the Cavs say themselves about the team, and I'm just glad that they were able to come back, especially when. They had no reason to win that game or even tonight's game, to be frank. I mean, yeah. And I think it's just, it just proves that Donovan Mitchell is that guy. And I'm just, yeah, I think I'm, the only thing I'm upset is. Let's relitigate the trade again. Okay. Okay. (laughs) We're, we're at the second break time. So when we come back, we've got a couple of uh, bones of contention litigating the trade. And then I want to talk about the free throw the quote-unquote lane violate two-minute report. So with that, we'll be right back. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to Cavs. Uh, the People's Court, uh, where we, <laughs> uh, where Judge uh, Nate listens to plaintiffs Eli Kim and Chris Francis and, and relitigates uh, past and future hypothetical trades. <laughs> and uh and 
starting out as our plaintiff, Chris Francis, who wants to uh, relitigate the, as I was calling it for a hot minute, the Lori Markkinen trade, but it's really the Donovan Mitchell trade. What What do you want to talk about that? You know I'm messing. You know I'm just messing. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so... Uh, shout out to uh, friend of the pod, uh, Trill Bro Dude of the You Know All podcast, but he put forth the argument that there's only so many guys that are that actually matter in the NBA, you know, in any I, given I agree year, with you. any given season, and Donovan Mitchell's one of those guys, and he's one of those guys that can bring you a championship, and you know, that's why you do the trade. And basically, I mean, his argument, and I have to agree, is that Danny Ainge got fleeced. Plain and simple. He got fleeced. <laughs> so fleecing. I, I kind of do, do want to, I've gone so much back and forth on that. I actually think Lori Markinen has been really great for them. I think he is a really good secondary or tertiary scorer whose asset, whose strengths are being highlighted because they are basically, he's the one or two scorer every night along with Jordan Clarkson. Um, but he's not, I'm not sure that's sustainable in the playoffs for him um, because he does rely on other people to set up his shot. And although he is, the funny thing is, is I think Eli, you and I talked about this last podcast. He's he would kind of be the perfect three for the Cavs right now. But what did they give up? They gave up Lori Markin and Colin Sexton, three first round picks, two swaps for basically only Donovan Mitchell. Right? There was nothing else in that trade. Am I correct, Chris? I think so. Yeah. That's correct. Akbaji too, though. Agbaji, oh, and, yeah. and Akbaji. <laughs> I will be forever convinced uh, he drafted just because he knew Ainge wanted him because there's no, I, I don't think Kobe is a bad enough GM to draft on Baji <laughs> without that trade in mind. And I tell you who looks like fools right now is the Knicks. Would you agree, Chris? Oh, I mean, of course. I mean, that's the whole thing is that in retrospect, I guess, Ainge won in the sense that the Cavs trade package was absolutely better than the Knicks package because, like, the the signature piece of the Knicks package was R.J. Barrett. Yeah. And Grimes. And they didn't want to give up R.J. Barrett. That was the sticking point. Right. And Grimes, I think, was the other Yeah, Clinton Grimes. Yeah, Clinton Grimes. And so, uh, yeah, I mean... So Ainge did get one over on the Knicks, but at the end of the day, what happens with these trades is always the same thing, is that the team that got the best player won the trade. And that's the rule, and I think it applies in the Cavs situation, you know, because those picks are going to be, two out of the three picks are guaranteed to be worthless. Yeah, well, that is true. yeah. Something has to happen to something has to happen to Darius Garland or Evan Mobley for two of those picks to even matter. Yeah. Well, and you know, even it's really five picks because of the swaps. But 
No, I'm with you. Um, and I think the thing about Donovan Mitchell that has impressed me so much is what a composed person he is, uh, how fantastic he is in front of the camera, what a leader he is. Um, he's absolutely a guy you would 100% want representing your franchise. Like to me, if you were to pick a face of the next generation of the NBA's superstars, it's like him and Booker and, you know, Giannis kind of bridges that gap. But, you know, when the LeBrons and the KDs and the Stephs start fading, Donovan Mitchell is going to be that guy. And I could see him being the face of the NBA. Like he's going to have as many endorsement opportunities as he wants. Like he, he has his own shoe. <laughs> he already has his own shoe. And, you know, he just, he's a good looking guy. He's extremely intelligent when he speaks and just charismatic. And like, look out Nate's wife. Oh, she's in love. <laughs> <laughs> like, here's the thing about Donovan Mitchell. Like, so my, my wife has three favorite guys on the Cavs right now. Um, Kevin Love, oh, obviously. I meant, you wanted to, I meant you wanted to date him. No, no, no. No, I, no, he, I, I get, I get surrogacy benefits. Like, <laughs> <laughs> she watches the Cavs and then takes it out on me. That's what I'm saying. Oh I'm, only kidding. I'm only oh kidding. I'm only kidding. This is, oh this God. is pure a joke <laughs> about a character named Nate who lives in West Michigan. <laughs> anyway, so what I'm saying is, there she has three guys kevin love obviously um donovan mitchell who she just like he is just the nicest person i just oh my gosh he's so good looking and he's so good and he's so smart and then she goes who is that raul nito <laughs> she loves raul nito and she calls him <laughs> that's why i always put the gif up when he scores of like nito <laughs> So, so, but I mean, the biggest thing for me is my wife will keep watching the Cavs with me, even if Kevin Love isn't there. And that is the greatest gift that Donovan Mitchell has given me other than 71 points the other night. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> now, did you just find out far too much information about my marriage? I, I, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, I mean, and I have a bit of a crush on him. So, I mean, whatever. <laughs> That's the, finally you finally admitted it. That's I mean, she's on both of our hall pass list. So there you go. There he is. <laughs> oh, oh man! Oh my god! <laughs> it's like oh, him god. and um. Oh, who's who's the girl that plays for uh, the Liberty? They're not the Liberty, uh, the Chicago Sky. <laughs> Candace Parker. Candace Parker, like her and Can him and Candace Parker are the the two that are on both. And uh, Padma Lakshmi is the two that are on both the three that are on both our lists. So. Wow, there you go. <laughs> anyway, I, I feel like you, you've just learned far you, far too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Anyway, uh, where we were, 
no, I agree with you. It, there are maybe 10 guys who matter in the NBA, right? Yeah. Roughly. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, who can, how many guys do you think can take you to a championship game? Like, let, let's name them. So we've got Luca, I think is on that list, probably in yep. the, in the lead for MVP right now. Kevin Durant. Yep. Would you put Tatum on that list? I would. Yep. You got Jokic. Giannis. Giannis, yeah, obviously. Giannis, yeah. Jokic, Donovan Mitchell. There you go. I feel like that's the list. Maybe, well, Do LeBron. We say Booker? Well, I'd say, we say Booker. I would not say Booker. Yeah. But yeah, I, mean, I would say LeBron. Well, Le- and I think Steph. LeBron's outside, that way. Yeah. Well, yeah. You got to yeah, say Steph they're, they're just because they literally yeah. just did it. Just one, yeah. And yeah, and he's a guy that at this point in his career, he's literally saving himself for the playoffs every season. Yeah. yeah um, no, I mean, um, no, that's fair. Uh, and it's about fringe, nine, ten the guys there. Yeah, yeah, that's the fringe, though. And and maybe Booker on the outside, but I don't yeah. think he has a team for it this year. Yeah. And the other guy that's maybe in that conversation, just given the numbers he's putting up, but he's never done it in um, the playoffs is SGA. And then the other guy on the outside of that is uh, Embiid. Yeah, I'd say Embiid's on the outside. I'd say Kawhi is also on the well, Kawhi was there, but he yeah. hasn't proved he's healthy enough to be there again. Exactly, exactly. So Yeah, and then the other guy is the guy that we haven't yeah, seen so yet, it's, and that's it's Zion. A, yeah, the, oh yeah, there you go. Yeah, so I mean, that list is... A dozen, big. dozen-ish. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and and Donovan's up there, so I mean... That's, yeah, that's and uh, and Donovan may be the best pure guard of all those players. I would agree. I mean, I think he's he's. I mean, like they were talking about his stats, like right right now. I'm not sure if Eli heard the same thing, but like basically, he's putting up Steph stats at this point, like prime Steph stats. That's how ridiculous. Except better around the basket, and oh, I'm sure better rebounder and defender. I mean, Steph was always a good system defender, but. Donovan can get up and block a shot. You know, Donovan can hold at the point of the attack better than Steph always did. I think, anyway. I don't know. Any any arguments there, Eli? You've been awfully quiet. No, I mean, I think I think this year Donovan Mitchell is definitely proving that he's a top 10 player, uh, without a doubt. Um, I think he was closer in Utah than people want to give him credit for, and I think this season just proves that it was more, it was like, you know, a lot of people wanted to be 50 50 with Rudy Gobert, I think. And, and that just looks so fraudulent. And that looks so fraudulent. Oh, man. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. (laughs) So I think, uh, you know, I I love Donovan Mitchell. I think he's, he's been great. I think the thing I love more about than the basketball is just how he's embraced like the whole team and, He's willing to be the leader of the team, and it seems like he genuinely is happy in the situation in Cleveland. So, yeah, the vibes are immaculate, as you said. Yeah, so I, I think, uh, I mean, obviously, I think the part that's kind of sad is, as great as everything is, now the playoffs are kind of the only thing that really matters for him at this point. That's how. That, that but that's that, true. That 
that proves how good of a player he is, right? Like he's done everything he could possibly do in a regular season, including the Bulls game, like scoring seventy-one points. So, like honestly, it's it's, it's kind of like a double-edged sword. Like, yeah, he's that great and elite, and sadly, all that really matters is the playoff success or lack thereof, right? So, well, well, the good news is the end season tournament is coming next year. So he's got two chances to, to, no, <laughs> no, I don't think so. The, I feel like the end season tournament's going to be such bullshit that it's going to be like the Maui invitation of the NBA next year, next season. That's, yeah. No way. The NBA's version of the Maui Invitational is coming next year. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> it's... Adam Silver for prison. Good God. <laughs> what the hell is wrong with him? Yeah. And I, I do want to talk about the state of the league a little bit, but also we do have to talk about the Cavs and kind of what the implications of Donovan Mitchell being really, I would say, a top six or seven player are what those implications are and and kind of what it means for the Cavs and and when we come back we'll talk about that a little bit more welcome back to Cavs a podcast I'm Nate Smith here with Eli Kim and Chris Francis and we're just kind of gushing over Donovan Mitchell and what he means for the Cavs and one of the things I want to talk about is is something that I talked about a little bit on the last podcast if Donovan Mitchell is this good is there anybody on the team besides Donovan Mitchell that should be considered untouchable in the pursuit of a championship? Oof. Like, I feel oh, yeah. like I mean, Donovan, well, well let, me, let me finish my thesis and then you guys can riff. Um, I feel like Donovan Mitchell is so good that every year you are not directly competing for a championship could be a wasted year. So, you know, not discuss. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, all the same. DG and Mobley are untouchable in that instance. They're your future all stars that you could build a dynasty with. You know what I mean? That's the way I would hope Donovan Mitchell's approaching the Cleveland situation. I think, to me, if I was Donovan Mitchell, I'm approaching the Cavalier situation like, here's my chance to actually, like, author a dynasty and put my name in the history books of basketball. That's what I'm thinking the opportunity Cleveland provides because that's what's it's true because it's, you know, you've got a 21 year old all star, a 23 year old all star. You have a 19 to 20 year old rookie of the year candidate who you expect to be a Hall of Fame player, you know, (laughs) transcendent talent, you know, Um, is the ideal situation for Donovan Mitchell to like you know, like rip off a run of like, hell, you know, he, it's possible they could rip off a run of like four or five championships, you know? Like I, if I mean, I feel like that's the together, cart before they, the horse a little bit. If but... they wanted to stick together. I'm just saying like the, there's an obvious path there forward. You know, you got years and years of Mobley and Donna or Mobley and Garland, you know, like, to me, if I was Mitchell, I'd be like, holy, you know, I just landed on the golden goose right here. You know, I just ride this baby out till I'm, you know, in my mid thirties or whatever and see what I could do. I mean, he's only 26. So, so the counterpoint to that argument is, do you, 
because you don't know, ever know how long you have as an athlete, do you make moves to win now and, you know, push out past, you know, that, that might hurt you in two or three years. Like, is, is that a legit thing that you consider or you just say, no, the future is too sacrosanct here. You've got to just keep rolling with what you're building and, and let it grow organically. Even if you're not, well, I think it's not, it's, it's not about winning now or, or it, I'm not sure. I'm, I guess there's a balance to it, but to me, it's like, what's the ceiling? You know, what, what's going to cap your ceiling? And judge I, I don't things know. that way. And to me, what's capping the ceiling are, it will, and it will always be the offensively limited players, right? Interesting. So that, that's, that's what's capping our ceiling is. Right oh, now. for sure. We're, you know, we're even with two all-star guards playing at an all-star level you know, we've got a average offense or just like a above average offense. And it's mainly because we can't get other guys going consistently enough. So, you know, um, so the question is, is do you want to sacrifice the best defense in the league for some offense? I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Eli, you, I, I see you, you've got your hand up. Um, yeah, I think, Maybe this is a hot take, but I would actually uh, kind of agree with what you're alluding to, Nate. I think you do have another untouchable, but it's actually just Mowgli. And my reasoning is is that I just think history is not kind to teams that are supremely guard-centric, especially if they're not like a big guard um, in the postseason. So... Maybe the Cavs are good enough to break through that stereotype, but I would be open to consider, you know, it has to be for the right player. Of course, you're not going to give away Garland or Jared Allen to make a, you know, seemingly lateral move or worse move. But uh, I think you have to look at it and be willing to go all in if you have to. It is... So the one thing I feel like it's, I but think if there's answer, a, hold on, hold on. He didn't even say for who. So who you Oh, trading? he's Garland. That's who he's trading. For who? For who? Well, that's, you know, it's, well, here's the thing on Garland. You can't that's trade That's what him I'm saying year. is if you can't. But you can't trade him this year. You can't be till next summer. If you can't come up with an answer for who to trade Garland for, then. <laughs> What the like? Why the hell are we even talking about this? You know what I mean? Like, you can't even come up with an answer for who to trade for. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, come on. Oh, okay. So I, I'm gonna Where's the give name? a caveat I here. I want names. I but want here's the names. thing: you can't trade for anybody right now. Because you have to wait till next year anyway. You have to wait till the summer at a minimum because the base year compensation and the poison pill provision. Makes it almost impossible to trade Garland excuses. this season. I'm hearing excuses. But, I haven't heard. But of I will give you names in just a minute. <laughs> there you go. What are your names, Eli? Who would you think about? Paul George. Uh, I mean, we talked about this. I think in our in our chat. Yeah, we right? talked last podcast. Yeah, and I think the player that could make sense is like Brandon Ingram. I mean. 
that's probably the worst player that I would maybe. I mean, I wouldn't say that's a for sure win, but the problem with Brandon player. Ingram is I don't think the Pelicans ever do that because um, who's their McCollum and Garland make no sense at all. They're both oh, yeah, too they small. Just, they'd run into the same problem the Cavs might be having, right? Well, I feel like the Cavs can kind of get away with it a little bit because Mitchell's athletic enough that he plays bigger than his height, but McCollum's never been a good defender. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I mean, I agree. So that kind of takes, I mean, at least for a couple years until McCollum kind of ages out, it takes um, Ingram off the table. So, you know, in the words of uh, Chris Francis, who else you got? Another name is Franz Wagner. I but find I mean, that very intriguing. But it had to be for more than Franz at this point, right? Because I think Garland is a much more accomplished player. But it'd be, I mean, it's a huge, that'd be a huge risk. You're expecting Wagner to continue to improve. And he kind of solves a lot of the problems of that small, instead of having a small backcourt, you know, you solidify a wing, you have a good, decent playmaker starting with uh, Mitchell, and he's young as well. So you can kind of keep building. Like the timeline doesn't have to accelerate with Wagner because if you trade for like Paul George, it definitely accelerates. If you trade for, if you somehow get Middleton in a sign and trade, your timeline still accelerates, you know? So um, that's why I think it's very intriguing, but I don't think either team is probably that interested realistically, especially the Magic because they have such a good young core as well. They're probably not looking to blow it up anytime soon. But but I would say that there's a little bit of overlap with the number of bigs they have, and or you know tall threes with Bol Bol and Paolo Banchero and Franz Wagner and um, Car. Uh, uh, what's the guy they got from the Bulls? A uh, Wendell Carter. Um, you know they have a lot of guys and. They don't have a lot of guards, and that's that's one of their issues. Um, Franz Wagner also isn't shooting very well this year. You know, the, you know, and you and I talked about this last time. The utter irony of the whole thing is the best player the Cavs could trade Darius Garland for is Laurie Markin. <laughs> you know, I, it almost feels like if they'd have given up Garland in that trade instead of Markin, it might have been better for the Cavs in the long term. Oh my god, this is insane. <laughs> what the hell are you guys talking about? This is the, Okay, Chris. Oh my god. I spent the last 5 minutes just trolling you and you haven't bitten and finally you took that lure. Oh my okay. Finally. Start dragging out some line, buddy. Okay. Well, here's the thing. Is that you guys are Talking about these dumbass trades. <laughs> oh, we want this. Right but you're the now, one that asked us to right, give you names, right and then now, you set us up. Exactly, exactly. Right now, the Cavs have the second best point differential in the NBA. The problem <laughs> isn't the personnel. The problem isn't the talent. The problem isn't the roster. The problem is 
J.B. Bickerstaff is not maximizing and he has a consistent problem coaching offense. And that's what the real problem is. I, I'm not going to argue with you. That's what the real discussion needs to be about is who do we get instead of J.B. Bickerstaff and his mediocre offense, perpetually mediocre offense, you know, and really take this team to the next level. Well, you heard my idea today. The absolute best trade target for the Cavs is Monty Williams and the Suns training staff who are, you know, for years the best in the league. Really? Yeah. Yeah. They prolonged Steve Nash's career. Um, Yeah. Everybody says uh, Phoenix has the best training staff. So I don't know. I mean, you've heard that, right, Eli? Yeah, definitely. Definitely good training staff. (laughs) (laughs) no but in all all seriousness the proof is in the pudding look at chris paul he was able to play more playoff games at an older age than when he was with houston like he's not missing game sixes and sevens um and you know they got to the finals with chris paul Later, yeah, in his and, career, so. and they were a COVID game away, maybe from last year getting to the finals. Yeah, exactly. So, but to Chris's point, I actually do feel like if the Cavs started Jetty Osman just to see how it would freaking look, I think that would be a way to possibly uh, improve the team within. I mean, the dude still has, has the best net rating in the NBA, so I don't get it. Like, why he cannot draw a start for the Cavs under JB's tenure? I, I, point of order. I'm fine if he doesn't start if he's playing 33 minutes. Like, that's my issue is not starting or not starting. It's the minutes because I feel like he absolutely can be the small forward version of Manny. The issue is that he just buries him sometimes for no good reason. Um, And maybe it's based on the slumps he's gone through in the past. Maybe it's based on Chetty plays too fast or gets, you know, on both ends of the floor. Uh, But I feel like JB would trade Chetty for Kyle Anderson tomorrow. So he could eke out an 80 possession game every game. I mean, am I wrong there? My point is though, (laughs) <laughs> Jetty Osman. Shut up, Nate. You're stupid. No, 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 I get your point if he does play 33 minutes. But if you're going to play him 33 minutes, why would you not start him? I mean, what's the what's the point to not start him if you're going to play Lamar Stevens and Isaac Okoro 22 minutes um, and you're going to play Jetty 33? And I just don't – I get that it's fine if he is playing 33 minutes, but he literally got a DMP four, like five games ago. We're getting backdoored once. Well, it, like, to be fair, they said it was because of his back, but I don't know if that's true. If that's just JB saving face, of course it's him saving face because the next game he <laughs> played and they won. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Get his ass. <laughs> what about you, Chris? What do, What do you? What is your response to all that? And then we'll then we'll I mean, break. Yeah, I just to me, I think JB needs to be on thin ice. I think there's where the scrutiny. If you want scrutiny about you know how to improve this team, I'm looking at the coaching staff. So you know, I mean, like what what's plainly obvious right now 
as as it pertains to the Cavs' anemic offensive output lately is the ball's not moving. They're not getting assists, um, even though we have two of the better passers in the league at guard. Three. And, you know, three, yeah. When Rubio comes back, four. Yeah, there you go. So, and, in you know, going and, back and to good passing forwards in Love and Mobley. Yeah, bringing this full circle to tonight, you know, the the guys who disappeared really were, and you pointed it out, who had a big game. It was DeAndre Ayton who shrunk in the game. It was uh, Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. It's really their absence uh, on the boards, in the paint, you know, being decisive. You know, how many times did Mobley get into the paint? And into a crowd and then just like turn the ball over or shoot a bad shot or, you know, God knows what happened. It wasn't anything good, you know, and, and, you know, it was just, you know, you know, I'm going to counterpoint there. He also missed the last two or three games and he's a young guy, needs to get the rhythm, you know. Yeah, definitely. So, but I'm just saying, like, the offense kind of sucks, and it's not a <laughs> new thing with JB. And, like, we have Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland. The offense should not suck. So, it needs to get figured out. And to me, JB is the culprit. Well, and, and it's rudimentary at times, too. But yeah. is it I, so... I actually think it's overly complicated. I think they do overly complicated actions instead of just playing the matchup game. Like just oh. reading the game as it comes. You know? It's a it's a fair argument and when we come back, I'm gonna play uh what John Blair Bickerstaff, Devil's Advocate. Welcome back to Kaza Podcast, Nate Smith, Chris Francis, Elijah Kim, uh three stalwart Cavs guys talking Cavs basketball. I don't know. I don't know what I got there. But um, <laughs> I, I want to play a little bit of devil's advocate for JB because I feel like it goes way back to stuff that Tom Pestek and I have thought about in the past, and that's results-oriented processes versus process-oriented processes. Um or I don't know if process is the right word, but, you know, one part of me, like, all the time thinks, God, J.B. Bickerstaff does not know what he's doing. Like, literally in that last Bulls game, I saw a possession where Lamar Stevens was the only guy on the right side of the court for either team. And I'm like, how do you... Like, you don't even have a weak side of the offense. You can't, there's so many guys on the strong side of the offense, you can't even get the ball to the weak side of the offense because no one cares about Lamar Stevens in the corner. But then the other side of me says, you know, Lamar Stevens is a guy that's earned those minutes. And we always talk about sample size. It behooves. J.B. Bickerstaff to play him long enough to say, hey, this is a real sample size. This is not going to work. And, you know, maybe he has to. He seems to me like a guy who has to see it not work in action rather than just trust his gut. Like he has to say, hey, this is not going to work because we sat here and played 500 minutes of it. It doesn't work for that to to go through. And sometimes I feel like 
He knows what he has in Shetty Osman. He knows that his best role is coming off the bench. You know, there is a part of J.B. Bickerstaff where you could say, Chetty's leading the league in that rating. He's kind of using him perfectly. You know, it isn't – sometimes when a guy's leading a net rating, it's because the coach is putting him in the position to succeed. You know, and and that's part of that discussion too. But the other side of it is things that you and I and watch and – it's completely obvious that this guy shouldn't be playing and that's Steven. So sometimes I get him the benefit of the doubt. And sometimes I'm like, what the hell is this guy doing? But I will say he's got the biggest, most important thing is he's got his best player playing his best basketball. And he is kind of helping build the habits that they need to win. Now, there are tactical things that drive me up the damned wall, but sometimes I think, hey, those are just growing pains. And I don't know if it's the players that at the end of games just go ISO over and over against bigger players and screw up, or if it's the way the coaching works. I don't know. But I have to admire the way he's handled Donovan Mitchell, the way he's handled... um Karis LeVert, the way he's handled Chetty Osman, despite his inconsistency, he's put him in a role that he's been really successful at this year when the last couple of years he's been very hit or miss and not as successful. So I, I'm going to play devil's advocate for J.B. Bickerstaff a little bit, but you know me, I'll always come back and bitch at him the next game. So I don't know any response to that, Chris, because I know you're not enamored of him these days i mean to me it's you know my whole point was that the team's roster is good the team's roster is elite we have a championship roster so if the championship doesn't happen or something close to it you know a conference finals you know finals whatever like that's on the coach we got the personnel to do it. So that's my point. And, and the team should be getting better. And what we've seen so far is the team's, you know, maintained its elite status on the defensive end, but there's been a precipitous decline of the offense. And it can't be all just Dean Wade's absence, you know. So unless it is, then, you know, my Dean Wade top five, you know, small forward in the NBA agenda is taking off. <laughs> Uh, what say you, Eli? Is Eli walking his dog again? <laughs> uh, you caught me red-handed. What's the yeah, are you really? I took him out real quick. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing like a Nate soliloquy for walking your dog for a good five minutes. <laughs> yeah. So, so what's this about JB? We're firing him or what? <laughs> oh my god! You're the JB or Eli just ignored these two blowhards for the last eight minutes and is back and is like so my whole take was I was playing devil's advocate for JB and saying hey some of this sometimes you got to go through these things to get better sometimes you gotta you owe it to a guy like Lamar Stevens to play him for several games one of my points was that Chetty has a great net rating some of that is reflected on the coach putting him in the best position to succeed um, <laughs> I was playing devil's advocate 
basically Chris was saying, you know, JB needs to be better at offense. Um, did I paraphrase you correctly there, Chris? Yeah. Now, are you walking your dog now, Chris? <laughs> no, what I was about to look up, what I was, I was doing some hot Googling action to, um, I was looking up, um, what I wanted to look at was Pythagorean win expectation. Wow. That's not dog walking conversation. No, no, it's not. But what I would say is, uh, NBA stuffer has been tracking our, uh, our um, expected win percentage, and right now we are. Oh wow, we've we've actually improved a little bit. So we are a, we are finally out of the top five of underachieving teams in the NBA uh, for the season. We're now in the top ten. So we're making improvements. <laughs> improvements are happening. We're still we're still below our win expected totals, but you know. So yeah, Eli, is, is JB what's holding this team back? I think he is holding it back, but I don't think it's to the magnitude of like the Cavs not being a one seed or you know significantly better. I mean, how can you get that much better? The Cavs are like what the second or third net rating team right now, and second, yep. And but, I think, but I think the counterpoint to that is we can all point to a handful of games that the Cavs should have won if the coaching was better. I I agree. I mean, I think the Clippers and Warriors game just are immediately come to mind. Um, and that being said, there are a couple games that the Cavs definitely won with no help, you know, not because of JV, but like in spite of them. Um, I actually think his coaching has been really good the last two games. So I would agree. I think it's great that, he rode Donovan Mitchell and Jetty Osmond for 50 minutes and 38 minutes. Um, but I, I think that's a little frustrating because for, especially for Jetty, my, my thing is I feel like Jetty Osmond is one of the reasons why JB's getting a bad rap and he's not maximizing the team. And I still don't get it, but at least in the last two games, I think there's a strong correlation of why we think he's doing better and the results speak for themselves. And it's because he's playing the best net rating player 30 plus minutes, um, as he should be until, until he comes down. Maybe it's a fluke, but it should, if it's a small, if you're going to say it's a small sample size, maybe you should keep doing it until it's not a small sample size. And. I think, I, it's, just I think it's the reason why he's so successful to me is simply because he's a better passer than in just a better understanding of the floor game than Okoro or Stevens. Well, like I, just, I would well, say the he just other fits the thing offense better. about Chetty is he is an absolutely elite transition player. Like he definitely. And, and it's a twofold thing. He's super fast. He has great hands on the outlet. And he is big enough to finish over most people. Um, so usually, like you saw tonight, usually it's not bigs that are back in transition. Usually it's wing players and uh, guards that are back in transition. And Chetty owns those guys in transition going to the bucket. And that is a huge advantage. 
uh, where, you know, kind of the same way LeBron always was, although he's definitely not nearly as impactful as LeBron was. But, you know, I think I think that matters in a way almost more than he does enough stuff in the half court to keep him playable because of what he does in transition. I don't know. I think he's just a good basketball player. And freaking well, there JB could be that too. Should have played him. Should have just freaking played him. But at least he's yeah. doing. At least he's doing what he's doing. It's fine. Whatever. You know. But my thing is, is you know, going back to Eli making the joke about you know the difference between, you know, is JB the difference between us being where we're at and and literally he is the Pythagorean win expectancy would have us, uh, with the top. It would be the second best record in the NBA. Uh, instead, we're at number six. So, I mean, we're talking right now, JB's the difference between the Cavs being a four seed or a one seed or a two seed. So, I mean, I don't know if these things actually going to matter in the playoffs, but I know that good teams care about getting home field, you know, home court advantage in the playoffs. You know, teams that winning begets winning. winning. Yeah. Teams that want to win the big things. You know, they're trying to get home court advantage. So, you know, to me, you know. And okay, you go, Eli, go, cut him going off. Back he's to, he's yeah, just droning on. <laughs> I'm just saying. Ironically, though, I, my counter to that is that actual elite teams don't care about seeding. Um, and I don't think the Cavs are a team that are like that. I don't think they should play like that because they haven't done anything yet in the playoffs. Well, and, and they're so much better at home. Yeah, and they are. I mean, like, it just... So, I'm all for trying to maximize wins right now, um, especially if the team was healthy. And, you know, Garland being out for nine games definitely doesn't help. But in a, in a weird way, the Cavs are 9-0 and when he isn't when he doesn't start. So, it's just... Uh, I think JB is the reason the Cavs aren't maximizing their potential, but I don't think it's drastically changing the team. I guess that's my stance. And it's not a very strong stance, I admit, but that's kind of where I'm at right now. I, I'm less on the JB thing, and I'm more on the Cavs are still really young, don't know how to close games. They're also trying to develop Evan Mobley, and they're playing two bigs that aren't good shooters outside of the key. And that you're not going to maximize your wins. I mean, you could talk about maximizing wins, but you can't play Kevin Love more than, you know, 22 minutes a night. But if you're just looking at a stat sheet and you look at this guy, Kevin Love, who's putting up massive plus minus numbers, you say, oh, why isn't that guy playing 35 points? Well, it's because he's a million years old and he can't guard anybody and he can only play 22 minutes a night. Like the stats don't tell all that picture. You know, they don't have all that context. So I I will say there's there's some built in limitations to what he's doing. And there are times that he has played Garland and he has played Mobley when he probably shouldn't have uh, down the stretch of games. Um, There's times he's played and, and I've seen him over course correct. Like we saw really early in the season when Toronto was abusing Raul Neto and then Neto didn't see the floor for 20 games, you know? So it, it it's, 
he definitely has had his moments where it's like baffling decisions of what he's doing. But I mean, some, I mean, in some respects, is, it might young. all just come out in the raw, in the wash. I mean, my thing is he's young, so there's a chance for improvement. That's what I'm holding on to. Yeah. Well, look at, uh, oh, who's the coach of Milwaukee? Budenholzer. Budenholzer, master of panic. Bud. Like, we didn't think he'd ever win a championship, and he figured it out. Now, we got a lot of really smart players, and that helped, but, you know, sometimes it, you just got to figure it out, and I I don't know. I don't know if he's the guy or not. I, I don't know if this is the year or not. I don't think it is, just because I don't think they have enough shooting, and I don't think they have enough shooting with size, but I will say that they have – I certainly think they are better – Long term, and I think they're better in the playoffs with Donovan Mitchell and another big guard long term than Darius Garland. So I don't know. I don't know what to say. What else to say? But we, we've we've beaten that horse to death. So we're going to take a break. And then, you know, maybe when we come back, we got a little <laughs> trade slot. So there we go. Oh, wait, we did we just take a break? <laughs> did we just come back from a break? I have no idea. I have no idea either. So I'm super confused, um, but we're going to take another break. Screw it. Welcome back to God's podcast. Nate Smith, you like him, Chris Francis. And one of the things I wanted to talk about was the kind of comical, just whining about the two minute report by the Bulls fans of the Kevin or the Donovan Mitchell supposed lane violation. Like, no one's ever calling that lane violation in any game ever, right? Is there wow. a game you've watched in the last 20 years where they would have called that lane violation on with four seconds left in the game? No. No way. Especially when everybody else was in the lane early anyway, right? Yeah, they, yeah. they just let every – it's a free-for-all. Like, right, that's exactly. One, like, no one, no one gives a hell. No one, no one I, just crap what happens. That's kind of my issue with the two-minute report is, like, you can always say a guy was fouled on a jump shot on the last shot, but it's, like, unless a guy is bleeding or it's just completely blatantly obvious, they hardly ever call a foul on the last play, and they're never calling a lane violation. Like, can you imagine? they Those refs would have not gotten out of town if they'd have called a lane violation on one of the greatest plays we all have ever seen, right? Yeah. Like it's just garbage. And I, I do, I I guess in a way the bulls whining has kind of made me feel like, you know, when we whine about officiating and, and I feel like the Cavs have had enough games taken away from them by officiating that, that I don't feel bad about something like that. happening. Yeah. Like how about that goaltending call in the late against the Coro? A few games ago. Yeah, against the Pacers. That was one of the worst calls I've ever seen. It was like the ball didn't get over the rim. So, I mean, you can you can whine about it all you want, but it's, you know, they're never going to change. Like, I almost feel like they should get rid of the two-minute report. But I guess it keeps the refs accountable a little bit, but I don't know. I mean, what's your take on the two-minute report, Chris? 
Oh, I don't. I mean, I never have read one. I never cared <laughs> about one. I've never talked about one. You know, I and then I suppose I shouldn't start now. <laughs> <laughs> what What about you, Eli? In any, uh, I'm sure we'll be, be whining about one in the future. But I'll be honest. I'm a huge fan of of. Uh, I can't really think refereeing this year, and especially last year too. And the NBA has been really bad. So I'm always complaining about referees. I'll just be I know you are, and it's one of my favorite things about him. <laughs> but um uh, I lo- remember when remember when he went into the DMs? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That guy still, did you uh, go into the refs DMs? I did. It was oh not my a god. <laughs> oh my god. You're not gonna name names here, are you? No, I did. It was Yeah, he, he did. Me. He definitely yeah, did. He blocked me. <laughs> Who was it? It was a referee with the last name Meta, M-E-H-T-A. I think he's like the first Indian-American referee. Wow. Not yeah. only are you a jerk, but you are an exclusionary jerk. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. And then I think another point is there are just refs who are just so bad, but they continue to get assigned to these marquee games. And that just makes no sense to me. <laughs> I'm, like I, will, I will be agreeing with you there. Like Tony Brothers should never get a finals game. <laughs> Tony Brothers is, I knew you were going to go crazy. There. Well, he was in and, that Milwaukee although, game. Although he did give, yeah, he did give Donovan calls. So, I mean, maybe he's in there as a star, as a star fixer. Him? And Zach Zarba should never ref in the playoffs. Yeah, I can't stand Zarba. Because Zarba, I mean, a lot of people probably don't even get into the weeds of this. Zach Zarba broke the playoff record of foul calls, and then he broke it. He broke his own record three times <laughs> last year. Like, That's how amazing. do you? And then he got a finals game. Are you serious? Yeah, and then he got a finals game. He wasn't what a, the head what a referee. Selfish prick. Seriously. What <laughs> it, way to make it about yourself. What the hell is wrong with you, Zach Sarva? Yeah, I'm calling you out. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna slip into his DMs, huh? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but that's what I mean, my whole point is I think refereeing in general has been really bad in the NBA. And the two minute report just makes them look worse because you can't change it. And yeah, that's my unless thing. who cares because that, that's there, the whole thing. It's like you, there's no recourse. Yeah, yeah. and, so and there's, there's a, yeah. Go ahead. There, so if there's like a system where like the and the referees are like, all right, well Zarba like literally blew this game. He's not going to ref for like two weeks. Like if there was a system like that, I think I'd be intrigued personally. But it's not ever going to happen like that. Because uh, like all those things happen in the off season where referees just get quietly let go and no one ever hears from them ever again. Like, yeah. So. Well, and the crazy thing is, like, with as bad as the officiating is, and the um, and, and I will say one of the issues now is there's just so many very young refs, um, or officials, and it it a lot of them are coming up because so many retired in the last several years. And there's going to be some growing pains there. But I, I, I will say the other thing is 
just like these goofy ass points of emphasis. Like remember that Knicks game where they called like 19 travels. And then of course, you know, Jared Allen got away with, we even said it in the live thread when the game was going on that Jared Allen put back uh, late in the game against, uh, Oh, who was it? Um, in the Bulls game, uh, he took like five steps. Like, and they call it out in the two minute report. And it's like, it's just, yeah, I don't, the, the two minute report doesn't change anything, but it also points to some of the other stuff that's going on in the NBA. Like, I am so sick of the pointless replays. Like, how many times did we see him go to the monitors tonight on, like, why can't they just have a guy in the league office watching the game and say, look at the camera and not have the ref go to the table and look at the stupid monitor? Like, wh- why do they have to do that? It seems like such a colossal waste of time um, in a game that's already sometimes takes too long. Like, I feel like that game against the Bulls the other night was three and a half hours. Like, why? why are we going to replay for the dumbest things just make a call on the floor and just be done with it i I mean i get having a challenge or two but there's so many things they go to the monitor for that are stupid now i would you guys agree or are you just sitting here yeah, are sure. you walking your dog again lee eli <laughs> i think no, he is I'm not oh I'm whatever not. and that <laughs> okay but like the these some of these reviews are endless i don't know but what do you what do you guys think of that what's the deal with all these reviews i'm andy rooney <laughs> you sound like i was just brown. thinking about you be brown take this guy we've got <laughs> right here he's one of the best players we have in our league today no no not only andy does rooney. he give no, no, you no, the no, scoring no, no. but he also the gives andy. you the rebounding and four assists a night the Andy Rooney thing was the actual character. That that was the bit. That, that was the bit. Not, not Hubie. Come on. Hubie is a treasure. You, oh, you my God. Shut your mouth. He's the worst. He's, he's the best. He, he was a treasure 15 Aldi. years ago. Oh, speaking of treasures, have you heard Mike Fratello, Human Valium? Oh, my God. He was just droning out like tonight in the late in the game. He literally listed the three-point shooting percentage of every single member of um, the other team. Like, just sitting there just in a long soliloquy. It was painful. It's weird because I thought Fratello was actually pretty good like two years ago. Now he's horrible. I think he's No, no, I think Fratello's fine. They just need AC there. Yeah. That's that's the problem. No, he's fine, but he only works in a three-man booth. Yep, exactly. I actually have really liked um, Brad Doherty a lot more than I thought he would. I would. Yeah. Oh fun. yeah, I like Doherty a lot. Doherty like might be story. my favorite he, now. He he had that story about Donovan Mitchell that was uh, key about that seventy-one point game. He said that he had given him a pep talk before the yeah. game or whatever. I thought he was just fantastic in that game. Yeah. I mean. Oh yeah. And and Donovan even called him out. Yeah. Yeah, Donovan called him out in the post game presser. Yep. Yeah. No. Exactly. Because Darty came up to him and said, you know, basically gave him a confidence booster. Like, dude, you're that guy. You know, what I mean, quit. You know, don't. You know, don't shy away from it. Embrace it. You know, and just you just went off and took it. So it was cool. It was. Yeah. What What were we talking about? 
Oh, um, all the replays. Like, do you guys get sick of them, or just it's just part of the game? Yeah. Uh, I mean, they should get rid of them. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Wow. They should get rid of them. Yeah. Like the stupid ones. No, all of them. Get them. Get rid of all of them. Well, like, why can't just somebody in the league office just say, "Hey, this is this," and the the guy doesn't have to go flip the monitor around. It's like, probably gamblers that make that impossible. Oh my god! Yeah, that's the other thing that's driving me nuts is all the gambling ads now. Like, I feel like we've switched from crypto to Jesse Pinkman trying to sell me on gambling. Probably so. Ah, anyway. Okay, so I, the other thing I want to talk about is, and maybe tonight's not the not to, night to talk about it, but all the um, all the scoring this year and how insane the scoring is and how many 50-point games and all these other things we're seeing. Like, there's a lot of theories going around. What are yours? I mean, for me, it's just players are good. We're in a I'm with age, you. I think. Well, you and know, I feel like just... players who can't shoot are a rarity now. Yeah, you stick out like a sore thumb, that's for damn sure. You want to hear my theory? No, yeah. just Chris's. <laughs> Players are good, refs are ass. That's why everyone's <laughs> scoring a lot of points. It's probably it's true. It's fair. Yeah, like There were so many damn fouls in that Bulls game I'm the sick other of, night. No, you know what I'm sick of is, you know... The harden of a harden hardenification of all the guards in the NBA. I'm looking at you, yeah. SGA. I'm looking at Luca. I'm looking at Embiid. I'm looking at all these free throw merchants. I'm freaking sick of them. Ah, oh, Demar Derozan. Demar Derozan, the fall like, down king. I'm fine. I'm fine if you use a pump fake, or I'm fine if you use a ball fake, whatever. But the flailing and the 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 you know woe is me act screw that that is oh, oh these God. guys that fall down Just on every three actually you know another three one pointer. Giannis Giannis fraudulent just runs in he like that whole team is a bunch of free throw merchants they're a bunch of ref merchants all all they their whole offense is I'm gonna throw my body into the defender and hope I get a call that's like yeah. what half of these guys are doing. You know, Any of you guys watching game. this Lakers Miami game? Yeah, I've got another. Oh, did you see Schroeder's ankle injury? He yeah. basically bent at ninety degrees sideways. Like, oh, nice. it just looks oh, brutal. And apparently, he's gonna play, which is oh, he's gonna shoot his free throws, and he'll probably be done. Anyway, uh, no, I'm with you. I think the other thing, the other thing I read about was the number of take the take fouls have increased the scoring because teams aren't stopping fast breaks um, like they were, which oh, is leading right. to a lot higher yeah, percentage shots. Awesome, well, I mean, they said 1,700 plays were take fouls last year. And I have loved that they have instituted that rule because it was garbage <laughs> that people were just doing take fouls to do take fouls. Now, I haven't seen a couple bad ones, but for the most part, it's been implemented pretty fairly. Um, what was the other one? I, I think, um, like you said, the, the officiating and the free throw shooting, but, and, and it is a little bit of a bummer because I thought two years ago when they started the season and they had way cut down on the fouls, it had, uh, it kind of made for a more exciting basketball, but a lot of the players complained and then they kind of reversed it in season. 
I, I want him to find that happy mix, but I don't think they're there yet. Like, I feel like the mix all depends on the ref you get, you know, whether you get, they call everything or nothing. So I don't know. And I think that with the other theory I saw was that teams are getting so much better at making sure their highest, their most efficient players take the most efficient shots all the time. Um, and the shots that are kind of in the wheelhouse. And it's just that offensive coaching has gotten so much better. So that could be part of it too. Anyway, that was uh, the state of the NBA by Nate Smith, Chris Francis, and Eli Kim. Um, and, and I don't feel like, I feel like this is long enough in the tooth that we probably shouldn't get to trade slop tonight because we'll have plenty of other trade slop, uh, discussions over the next month. There's a lot of people predicting a lot of blockbusters. And then there's a lot of teams that are in contention and people saying no one will have, there won't be a lot of trades. So it remains to be seen, but, uh, yeah. Um, but I did want to get into the Cavs got a big road trip coming up, right? That's correct. Yeah. So uh, how many games are they out west for? Hot Googling action. Yeah. Hold on. Uh, so we've got at the Suns, at the Jazz, at the Trailblazers. So we've got a five and at the Nuggets. We've got a five-game road trip, trip taking us out to mid-January. And then the Pelicans come to town. And then... Um, we, we've got the Grizzlies and it's kind of a mixed bag after that, but yeah, I mean, five game road trip out West, um, some pretty tough teams. Uh, I got to hope the Cavs can win at least three of those. I would be happy with two, <laughs> but because the Cavs haven't been nearly as good on the road. Uh, what's your prediction for the road trip there, Chris? Uh, they'll be lucky if they get two. Eli, yeah, I think uh, I think two would be what I'm expecting. Three would be ecstatic. Okay, and and here's the big question: Who wins tomorrow? Um, man versus Nuggets. Do do the Nuggets win or does the man win? Oof, I feel like I feel like the Nuggets are going to win. <laughs> they, they score one thirty in the in the stomach lining bursts, huh? Well, I just think average out with tonight's game, you just gotta go for the over, and the Nuggets are gonna overwhelm the man. Okay, there you go. And uh, you guys got anything to pitch as we wrap up this long in the two podcast? Uh, Chris, no, I'm, no, Trace Generaciones. Uh, no, I will. Well, I'll pitch the, uh, I'll pitch, uh, like I said, Trilbro Dudes, you know, ball podcast, the, nice. the Donovan Mitchell trade. Nice. So that's what I'll pitch. Go check it out. Go listen to it. Hear an outsider's perspective on the Donovan Mitchell trade. And, uh, like I said, Ainge got fleeced. <laughs> um, Eli, what do you, you got anything? Uh, nothing to pick. Uh, going to the key, going to the Rocket Mortgage Fuel House to uh, watch Donovan Mitchell put in seventy one points and eleven <laughs> assists. You'll pitch that for anybody uh, who's interested. Of course, but I think I'll um pitch. My buddy is uh driving. He's moving away from Ohio for a little bit. I think he's said he was going to try to listen in, so I'll pitch it to him. His name's Josh. He's a pilot. 
Nice. Safe travels. Hope to see you soon, brother. Uh, hope this pod was at least a little is bit he, of fun. Is he flying commercial? Drive. Is he a commercial? No, pilot? he's he's driving down. He's he needs to get some. No, I mean, hours. is he a commercial pilot? He's trying to get his uh, hours for that. So. Oh, awesome! Well, good luck, yeah. man. Yeah, that's a hard road to yeah, hoe. That's, that's a that's lot of hours to work. That's badass. Yeah, yeah. So that's why he's moving down to get a little bit easier hours. I think. Um, is he ex-military? He is not. Okay. Yeah, and that I a lot of those guys are, and so I I, I hope he can get all his hours in and and get an awesome job. So. Yeah, well, that's why he's been going down there. It's just easier to get his hour. So down in Atlanta area. No, it's actually out like the Gulf Shore. So. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah. In, in between nice. two Air Force bases. So cool. Well, good luck, Josh. Yep. And and I'm gonna pitch a. Um, so I feel like Brendan Fraser is kind of like a hot topic right now because everybody's saying he's gonna get this Oscar. They're actually talking about the another Mummy movie. Um, but I'm going to pitch a terrible show called Doom Patrol, which is a DC show on HBO Max where they're canceling everything. But he is the voice of a very terribly uh, cheap looking robot uh, on this really goofy superhero show called Doom Patrol that I very much enjoy. I think it's pretty well written. Uh, there's been about four seasons and I'm trying to think of um Timothy Dalton is in it, who was a uh, two-time James Bond. And um, I think the other main guy you'd know is uh, is Brendan Fraser, um, but he just does voice work in this show. But it, it's a pretty pretty entertaining show, pretty well-written if you like superhero stuff. So check it out. And all obviously uh, Costco brand Spice Rum. So Hell that's yeah. all. That's all I got tonight. And as always, go Cavs. We'll see you for Man versus Nuggets Wednesday. Go Cavs. Go Cavs. Thank you for listening to Cavs the Blogs podcast. Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite blogger. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.